You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Hi, I'm Jennifer Wood. And I'm Jennifer Connor. From Equestrian Businesswomen, and you're listening to Equestrian B2B, the podcast that brings together industry leaders, entrepreneurs, and equestrians for conversations about how they build and sustain a successful business. On today's show, we talk to Stacey Tobin about the journey of her business, Bell & Bow Equestrian, and how she expanded her product line. Stacy Tobin is the founder and owner of Bell & Bow Equestrian, a children's and pony apparel and accessories line. A mom, wife, business owner, and equestrian, Stacy grew up in Massachusetts and began riding at the age of six. A lifelong equestrian, she went to the University of Massachusetts Amherst and studied equine business management. Following school, she became a top real estate agent in Brookline, Massachusetts. In 2012, she moved to Florida to be with her now husband and began Bell and Bow Equestrian, making show bows in her home. In 2015, Stacy had her first child, Max, and in 2016, her daughter, Lily. Bell and Bow expanded into apparel in 2018 and quickly began to grow. Stacy still rides her horse, Bellarina, in the Adult Amateur Hunters. Stacy currently lives in Massachusetts and Florida and continues to grow the company. Stacy, we're excited to have you here today um, to have you talk about yourself and your company, Bell and Bow Equestrian, and you know, for us and our listeners to learn more about you and your company. Thank you so much for having me. I am very excited to be on the podcast. Awesome. So, um, can you talk a little bit about? your path to becoming an entrepreneur and did you plan to be one? So I think I kind of always knew I would be an entrepreneur because I, I think when you are an entrepreneur, you kind of are born with an entrepreneurial spirit. Um, I think it's just a part of who you are. Some people just have it and some don't. Sometimes I think it comes from maybe someone else in your family growing up with entrepreneurs um, I think definitely helps that. Um, and my father built his own company. So I think that probably steered me a little bit towards on, towards entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so I think I kind of always knew that. Um, but it, you know, things just happened for a reason. And this kind of fell into place. That's cool. That's really cool. Do you, can you talk us through the evolution of your company? I know you started um, by making bows, and you know, do you did you do that yourself? Do you still do that yourself? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. So, um, it started back in around 2012. Um, I didn't have any kids of my own at the time. I wasn't married, um, but I had a cousin who was just starting like lead line. So like her very first horse show. And um, I uh, grew up riding. So my cousins knew, you know, that I was the only one in the family that that rode and they didn't know anything about horses or riding or never mind showing. And their daughter was going to show in lead line at the very prestigious Hampton Classic Horse Show. And I was like, well, you have to look the part for that one. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, actually went down to the Hamptons and we went looking for the outfit for her. Um, I think she was about 
I don't know, six or seven at the time. She was pretty small. Um, and we had a really difficult time finding what she needed. Um, and we couldn't find the bows. And this was just about when people started making, you know, these really fancy bows for their hair. When I was a kid, we just tied, you know, piece of ribbon that we bought at the craft store into the <laughs> bottom of our braid. And that was, you know, what color you picked was what you wore. And, you know, that was it. You just tied it in. Um, but this was right when uh, that started. And I said, well, now they're making these fancy bows. So we got to find them. Well, of course they didn't sell them in tack shops. Then um, there were moms out there making them and um, you'd have to know somebody to find them. And it was, you know, days before the show and she needed them and I could not find them. So I went to the craft store, bought some pretty ribbon and figured it out. And I made about, I don't know, 10 or so hideous looking bows. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I kept going until finally I came up with something that I was like, oh, these these look nice. Um, and I, I figured it out and, um, and then, you know, I, I realized I could do it and other people said, Hey, can you make a set for me? Can you make a set for me? And that's kind of how the, the evolution of it started was just kind of word of mouth that, Oh, Stacy knows how to make those. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then I was like, well, maybe I could make a little business out of this. So, um, you know, I'd make, you know, a dozen or so pairs of bows and I'd go to the local horse show. Um, I was living down in uh, Florida near, um, actually near Fort Lauderdale at the time. Um, and I took a little basket to the horse show and, um, and I sold my, my dozen pair of bows and I was like, Hmm. Oh, okay. (laughs) That's that. And that's kind of how it started right there. Where, did you have another job at the time that you were doing while while you did started? So I had been a real estate agent um, right out of school for about eight years, um, and uh, my husband and I had known each other for a long time, but we had just gotten together right around the time of Bell and Beau, and he was living in Florida and I was living in Massachusetts, and. He said, well, do you want me to move to Massachusetts or do you want to move here? And I ran to Florida. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, real estate is one of those things that you can't take your customers with you when you move that far away. Um, So I did end up getting my real estate license down in Florida as well. Um, But, you know, it was basically I was going to have to start from scratch because I had no customers not a lot of knowledge of the market down there. Um, and this bow thing just sort of started to happen right around that same time. Um, so I kind of, it kind of started with doing the bows and I was just kind of dipping my toe in the real estate market down there, but not really doing much because it takes about, I would say a good year before you actually have customers in real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't super busy with it. I did get the license and all that, but it wasn't really, you know, I wasn't doing all that much other than making the bows. And it started to get so busy, to be honest, that I didn't have time to do much more because <laughs> they take 
a long time to make. <laughs> I imagine they're they're time consuming in in the process of of uh, constructing them, and it's it seems like a lot in my mind. It definitely is, especially you know when you first start out. It, it you get faster as you go. It's kind of like I kind of compare it to. Um, people who braid their own horses, hmm. you know, if you braid your horse once a year yourself, it might take you an hour to braid your horse. But if you're a professional braider, you can get a mane done in like 15 or 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you can just zip through it because you're, you're just used to doing it. And I kind of think that making the bows is a little bit like that. So, um, you know, if I'm, if I was making bows every day, I'd probably be pretty fast at it right now. Uh, I don't make them myself anymore. Um, but at one point I was pretty fast at it. <laughs> <laughs> what was yeah. your output like? How many could you make in a day? Ooh. Or were you making? You know, I don't even remember. It feels like a million years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I mean, maybe maybe 20 pairs a day if I sat down and just did it. Um but, you know, I didn't do it all day long. It's hard to sit there, you know, mm. and do it all day long. Um, right. yeah, it's, it's very repetitive. Like, you know, you wouldn't want to be breeding horses all day long. Right. <laughs> exactly. It's kind of similar where you're doing small hand movements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm yeah. sure like your thumbs and stuff get stiff after a while. Yeah. Yeah. And you get, you know, stabbing yourself with a needle or hot glue on your hands, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I, I actually did horse hair, hair jewelry for a while. And it was it like, I enjoyed it, but that hair was everywhere. The glue was all over my fingers all the time. And I like, I could do three or four. I mean, like braiding wasn't the problem, but all the other things that you have to do to like glue it together and wait and washing the hair. And I, it was so time consuming. I was like, it's really not, it wasn't worth it. Like I didn't keep doing it. Like I can, I have friends occasionally will ask me to do one for them if it's something special. But for the most part, I shut down my page <laughs> and my website. I was like, I can't do this anymore. My fingers were just time consuming. And then my shoulders, like bending over to like do that action, just it takes so long. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a tedious thing to be a, a crafter. <laughs> yeah. 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 So at what point did you decide to move on from doing it yourself? I think I, I at first I, I, I was continuing to do it myself. I hired someone to help me just because the volume started to get to the point where I just couldn't keep up um, mm-hmm. because they are time consuming um, to make. And, and I couldn't get them out fast enough to, to get them to the customers that wanted them. So I hired somebody to who sat you know, side by side with me for a little while. Um, and, uh, you know, that happened. And then, and then I eventually, um, realized that I, and I started with the, once I started with apparel, I certainly didn't have time at that point to be making the bows. So then I had to turn it completely over, um, to somebody else to make the bows. But I, did train the girl that I have now. I trained her myself. So she makes it exactly the same way that I was making them myself. Um, 
and I still design every single bow that goes out. So I'm still some, occasionally I'll still make one, um, myself just to be like, this is how I want it to look. And then I'll show her and then she'll just copy it. Um, but most of the time I can just, you know, give her the colors and the ribbons and what I want it to be. And, and she's, she's so good now. I, I've never, I don't really know how many she makes in a day, but it must be much more than I ever used to. Cause she just churns them out. She's amazing. Um, <laughs> And, uh, yeah, she's, she's wonderful. So I I think it just got to the point where I couldn't, I couldn't keep up with it. And I had other things that I needed to focus on with the business. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I had to turn that, that part of the business over. And it's actually, you know, a lot of people, um, still to this day now will be like, Oh, you're a bow company. And I, well, yeah, we started with bows, but I have to tell you, bows are not our biggest selling product anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, bows are just a small part of the company now. And, and I love them and we still sell, you know, gobs of bows. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> they're not actually our number one selling product. Do you, do you do talk- custom work for the bows? Do you take custom orders or do you just make the bows? Occasionally we can do something, I would say like kind of semi-custom. Um, but we, we used to do custom bows where I used to like put the kid's name on it or a logo on it. Um, but I had to do that myself because the other girl didn't know how to do it. And I, I honestly just never taught her how to do it because it also includes uh, you know, graphic design type of work and other equipment that I would have to give to her and train her on. Um, and it just got to be to the point where I just don't have time to make those custom bows myself anymore. So, um, we stopped doing it because I, I just don't have the time to do it. Um, and you know, they, people still ask me and occasionally we can do something, where I would say it's like a semi-custom. So they're like, okay, we just want these colors and we can usually accommodate that. Um, mm-hmm. But the custom work where like the names and the logos and all of that um, has just become a little bit too much, um, too daunting on me to, to, to be able to continue to do that. So I know there's some other bow companies out there that do it if people really want their names on it and stuff. And, you know, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. And you've you've kind of touched on um, being more than just a bow company. Uh, can you talk about the expansion of your company and the products that you offer and kind of when you made the decision to do that? Yeah. So after my kids were born, I, um, you know, I wanted to take my own daughter and do lead line. And again, uh, similar to how I, you know, discovered that it was hard to find bows. Um, I took my daughter to the tack shop and man, I couldn't find her an outfit. She was Mm -hmm. about 11 months old. And I know that's a little crazy. She really couldn't walk yet, (laughs) (laughs) but I was like, she's going to do lead line. (laughs) And I literally couldn't find her an outfit for an 11 month old child to do lead line. So she wore, a t-shirt and some like boots that I found that kind of looked like riding boots, but they weren't riding boots. Um, and 
you know, she had a helmet with a diaper stuffed into it so it wouldn't fall off her head. And, you know, we did the best we could and it was adorable and she had a lot of fun. And I had, I think it was more for, definitely more for me than it was for her. Mm -hmm. Um, But at that point, I realized there was a big gap in the marketplace. And I said to myself, am I the only horse crazy mom out there that wants to put their 11 month old in a horse show? And I started to think about it and I said, well, maybe I'm not. I let's let's test that theory. Because at that point, you know, I had my bows in, I don't know, at least 50 tack shops at that point. Wow. So I said, let's see if any tack shops want to buy some something, some little jod first. Is there other people out there that are interested in, in this? So that is how I started the first apparel. Um line in 2018 um it came out and we started with you know so we started small with just i think t-shirts and jodhpurs um in little tiny sizes and i said let's just see how this goes um and we did like a test at the equine affair in massachusetts and i brought those with me and they were selling like crazy. And I was like, oh, my God, I think I might have found something here. <laughs> and I uh, bought a, I bought a pair at that. There you go. Fair. I bought a pair for my friend. I don't even have kids, but my friend's kid was like just born. <laughs> I was like, go. she has to have a pair. There you go. So and, th- and that's kind of what happened. Like I had grandparents buying them, people mm. buying them for their friends who had a baby because they were adorable and yeah. they were different than what other people had seen in the market before. Um, and they were real jodhpurs, but they were cute and they were yeah. so tiny <laughs> and everyone was like, Oh, these are adorable. I want to get these for my, you know, my friend or my niece or whatever. And uh, so it, it really showed me that there really was a need um, for it in the marketplace. And I, it, it's really started there and has continued to expand into, you know, basically we now cover everything for kids um, that they might need for anything. I, I like to say we have a saying, um, like slogan, I guess you could call it. We've got, we've got you covered from first lessons to pony finals, from bows to toes. Um, so that's our, our little slogan. And, um, we really do. The only things that we, we don't have, um, I don't do safety equipment. Um, so I don't do helmets. I don't do safety stirrups. Um, I don't do the vests. So we do have on our, our website, um, I do have partnered up with a couple of other companies that, that do do some of those products because I wanted people to people come to me because now I've sort of become the the expert I guess in these little kids apparel um, mm-hmm. and they'll say you know what what safety vest do I get what stirrups should I get to go with my saddle they they, they we now have bell and bow saddles um, and what's what safety stirrups should we get so I wanted to be able to offer people my suggestion of what I like and what I think is appropriate for these kids to be wearing. Um, so I've partnered up with, um, a couple of other people who of of products that I think are, are appropriate for these little kids. Um, but without having to 
manufacture and make them myself because that right. is one line that I don't want to cross. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. That's a that's a whole other yeah, ball of wax of trying to get the appropriate you know uh the, the, the laws you have to follow and certifications yeah yes Testing. and i imagine that that's like those companies that do helmets and safety vests and safety stirrups they're putting you know a lot of time and energy and effort into that product and mm-hmm. um and that's a whole nother company that i'm not in prepared to, <laughs> to take on <laughs> did you feel like you expanded slowly or was it like holy cow we're going all in and this is what we're going to do now? I think it's definitely been gradual. Um, you know, so we went from the bows to a couple pieces of apparel to a full apparel line. So by the time we're in 2019, we had an entire apparel line, um, show clothes, schooling clothes. Um, and then I think the following year we at, we started to add, add some leather goods. So we had paddock boots and, um, and then we tried um, our bridles. Um, and then we started to do saddles just this past year. We did, we, we expanded and we got these little tiny, they're adorable, cute little lead line saddles. Um, and I keep, you know, just kind of adding pieces. So um, I think the, the way that I expand isn't necessarily to be like, I want to create more and more products. It's what is there a need for in mm. the marketplace for kids and ponies? Um, so it was, you know, starting with just kids and then adding ponies into that mix because mm. um, I wanted to be able to watch my daughter or any child go into the ring and be fully head to toe bell and bow they're covered. We've got them covered and be able to offer that to our tax shops because our, most of our business is actually through our retail partners, which is, you know, all the tax shops. Most of our business is that. And I wanted to be able to say to these shops, like, you don't need to go anywhere else to cover your kid's corner and your ponies. We can make you pretty much everything that you need for that, that age group. um, So that they're not having to go and find um, you know, a bridle, a martingale, little galloping boots, girths that are going to fit ponies, um, all of these little things that you would need for, for, to go into a walk trot class or short stirrup class. Um, you know, they've got a kid that comes in, they can really help them with all of that and help and get all of that product from me versus having to go through, through multiple suppliers for, Mm. for that section of their market. Yeah, I think that's really smart of of only expanding when you see a need for it rather than just throwing a product out there and hoping that it catches on or that it's um that it's successful. So I think yeah, the the thought that goes into it is is important in why you're making something and um you you seem to have found a good um lane for what you you want to provide yeah i i think that that's i think that's kind of true if you look at any business any successful business they have a target market and they stick with that target market um so you know if you're um you know a skiing company and you're focusing on you know skiing like you don't then 
go and make something, you know, for swimming, right? Like mm-hmm. <laughs> you stick within your, within your target market. And I think that that is, you know, makes you more successful because you're, you're really focused in on, on what the needs of those specific people are. Yeah. And is your market just the U.S. or, or North America or do you go internationally as well? So I would say that the majority of our um, market is is based here in the U.S. We do um, have some crossover into Canada. Um, we have shipped to other countries as well, but I would say that's that's far and few between. That's that's not something that we do a lot of. Um, certainly interested in doing that in the future, um, but I also like to I like to keep within what I feel I'm capable of doing mm-hmm. um, because I, I pretty much am a one woman show. I, I don't have an entire huge team behind me. Um, so I, I think if I try to do too much too quickly, um, it can go the wrong direction. <laughs> right. I was curious about that to know if you were in an international markets, because I know um, when I was a kid, I started riding when I was very, very young and my grandfather's from uh, England and my mom had gone there for her British horse masters program. And so after I was born, like they had gone to Europe and I have like these teeny tiny little paddock boots and uh, jodfers and my helmet came from that. Like everything came from Europe that they had because there wasn't kid stuff here. You know, I mean, I was like 15 months old. I also have a, a lead line saddle that's like got a felt seat on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with the, with they, the girth attached. So anyway, I, I like that you're like a one-stop shop that you you've considered all of that because I think that it is uh, a market that was lacking and, you know, it's nice to be able to go and get it all at one place. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we try to do. And, um, and I do think the Europeans have done a better job previously of um of making sure that that market was covered and we really until bell and bell existed we really didn't have that um and i did had heard of people buying things from overseas to get it shipped here because they just couldn't find um the items here and so uh i think you know we've we've filled that gap in the marketplace yeah, definitely. So what are some of the biggest challenges you've had to overcome with your business? So one of the challenges was was kind of like a growing pain, I would call it, um, was fulfillment. So it, it's at one point, you know, I started really fulfilling just myself. I was packing and shipping out of my basement and it was fine. Um, but then we started to get multiple SKUs and I was kind of running short on space and <laughs> packing and shipping was becoming an issue for me. Um, so I moved everything to a third party fulfillment center, um, thinking that that would be great. And I could take some of the stress of, of storage and packing and the shipping off from my plate. Um, and we did that uh, for maybe about a year I was in a, in a another facility and it was a disaster. Oh, um, they didn't know what the products were. And even though everything has a UPC code on it um, and a name on it, they were not 
paying attention. And so I, you know, we'd have an order for a set of reins and they would send a martingale because Ugh. to them, it all looked the same. Right. Um, and so we were just shipping all the wrong things. And then we'd have to pay to get it sent back, ship mm-hmm. it out again. Um, and I would have to, you know, for me, like it would take more time on my end to correct the mistakes yeah. than it would have if I had just gone and packed the item myself. Yeah. So it was really, really frustrating. Um, and I was like, this isn't working. So I ended up renting my own space, my own warehouse and hiring my own staff and training actual people that I hired who were equestrians who rode. Mm. So they knew what the products were. They know the difference between a set of reins and a martingale um, or a wide nose band or a padded nose band and mm-hmm. all these things that, you know, if you're not an equestrian, you just wouldn't know the difference. They all kind of do look the same. Um, and so I hired actual equestrian people and trained them myself to do the packing and shipping and inventory and all of that stuff. And we just moved it all in house um, <laughs> to our own. And I, and it actually was great because I had been working out of my house previously. I didn't have an office per se. Um, and this, and it was great because I had an office that I had my own space. I could get out of the house mm-hmm. um, and I could also check for things in my warehouse when I wasn't sure, you know, inventory is probably the bane of every retailer, wholesaler's existence, right? Like we never have perfect numbers on inventory. Um, And, you know, it was where you get an order for something and it would say you had zero, but maybe you really had two because it was Mm. off by a couple. Um, And having it in-house is so great because you could walk over to the bin where it's supposed to be and actually check to see if it was there versus having it in some third party fulfillment center. Um, So that I think was the biggest challenge was just figuring out um, that we did not want to have our fulfillment center. We wanted to have our own space and our own warehouse and our own staff. Um, And I think, you know, since that has changed over, um, it's helped in in a lot of ways. Hmm. That that had to be a big decision to make to, to mm. get like a whole warehouse and the staff. Right. It definitely was. And I was hesitant about it. Um, Cause I was trying to figure out, you know, financially did this make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, because I had to pay, you know, my own staff versus the fulfillment center. You didn't pay the staff you paid per item being shipped and then you paid for storage. So I had to figure out, you know, the numbers and and did it work? And I have to say it really does for, for me. Um, I don't know if that's going to be true for every single company out there when they're just kind of starting out. Um, but I would say the bigger you grow, the more that it does make sense, um, to have your own space and your own staff that know your products and know where things are. And, um, and also that, that know your product enough that if they see something that might be a little bit off, they, they are smart enough to say, hey, it looks like there's two right hands in this glove package instead of a right and a left. Because they actually are people who care versus somebody who's just 
picking something out of a bin and throwing it into a package. Um, So I think, you know, that that has actually helped cut back on um, the amount of wrong wrong things getting shipped and um, which also cuts back on all the, you know, returns and things like that and keeps our, our customers, which includes our, sh- our retail shops um, happy because nobody wants to, you know, order something and then have to send it back because it's not what they ordered. Yeah. Um, that's not good for our customers and it's not good for us. So mm-hmm. um, I'm happier to have that. And, and then not to say that there's never mistakes. There's of course mistakes, human errors, happen all the time, but it's definitely less. (laughs) Yeah. And what's something that you found came easier than you expected? You know, okay. So there's a few products that we have that I kind of maybe took a risk on when we started the leather goods. Um, Mm -hmm. I wasn't a hundred percent sure that there was as much of a need for it as, as I thought that there was. Um, And that came easy making bridles I'd never made a bridal before it actually came really easy to me because I'm an equestrian I've been putting bridles on ponies my entire life mm-hmm. um, so I knew exactly what to do even though I hadn't been trained for it and that all came easy to me the design stuff came easy to me and I didn't know that it w- would I didn't go to design school I'm not an artist um, none of that stuff was stuff that I thought would come easy. And it did. It it really did. It was just very natural for me. That's cool. And was it, did you work with anyone to do that? Or was it um, like, how did you find people to make the the leather goods? Um, So finding manufacturers is not always the easiest. And I think you really have to test out different manufacturers, have samples made. Um, So I'll have samples made by multiple um, places and I will not always choose the least expensive, obviously, because that might not be the best quality. Um, so, I, you know, I had samples made in different places and then went, went with the one that I thought was the best quality and also ease of working with them. Um, yeah. You know, if you don't work well with somebody, then the product's probably not going to come out the way that you want it to come out either. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I, I'm constantly actually speaking with uh, different um, manufacturing facilities uh, to to continue to always have different products made in different places because some places make things better than others. I find that um, China does a much better job making fleece than India does. Um, so, you know, for me, I'm going to buy anything that I want to make for winter apparel with fleece in China. I'm not going to have that made um, in India because they just do a better job of fleece in China, in my opinion. So, you know, certain things like that, um, I definitely, definitely am picky about. <laughs> yeah. I imagine that is really time consuming. To, <laughs> like, I don't even know what would be the first step in even finding places like that to make fleece of yeah. you know, things like yeah. that. And I that- think that's definitely a challenge that I, and I think that's part of the reason, like, look, if it was easy, everyone would do it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I say that to a lot of people that, that have ideas or, or will come to me and say, you know, I want to start a company, um, doing X, Y, Z. What do you think of this idea? And I'm like, well, 
if, you know, I think it's a great idea. It's not going to be easy, but if it was easy, everyone would do it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have to push yourself to, to get through the challenges of, of whatever that might be, if you want to be successful. Mm-hmm. That had to be a lot of hours of, of research that you do to find the suppliers and to even learn that, that the fleece in China is better. Yeah. And, and a lot, and a lot of mistakes, you know, you, but hopefully your mistakes don't, don't come out to the public. Right. So (laughs) you can, you can order a lot, you know, I've spent a lot of money on samples of things that literally end up in the trash because, you know, you get something and you look at it and you're like, "Mm, I'm not putting my name on that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's okay because that's the way that you have to, to kind of, you know, work through anything. You you never, I kind of can bring it back to when I started making the bows. I made a good, you know, 10, 20 pairs of really ugly bows before I finally was (laughs) able to make that, that one that was right. Yeah. And what does a typical day look like for you now that you've got this expanded line, you've got your own warehouse, um, you know, uh, what are your daily, um, routines? So definitely every day is different. Not every day is the same, but, um, you know, I think, uh, my typical day is, uh, get my kids on the bus. (laughs) Then I head into the office. Um, I try to respond to my emails first in the order that they're, that I've received them. Um, so that I, they kind of, they kind of actually will sometimes dictate my day because sometimes just getting through it, depending on the day, Sometimes just responding to those emails could be an entire day, just depending on, you know, what I've got in that, in that queue of things to do. Um, And if I'm lucky enough to get through, through that, then I might be able to focus on to some sort of marketing for the company, Um, Mm -hmm. or I might be able to um, focus on, creating something that I've got on my list of things that I have ideas for. Um, Sometimes it could be um, doing social media posts, things like that. So, um, you know, I really do a lot of these things myself. Um, So really just finding, I always have to-do lists. I'm a big to-do list person. So just finding those extra minutes to if I can get through the things that are prioritized, um, then I'll get onto my to-do list and try to get, at least if I can get one thing off the list a day, I feel like I'm winning. <laughs> yeah. And, and then I always uh, have to be home in time to get my kids off the bus. So I have a limited exactly. day. <laughs> yes. And do you handle all of your own customer service? So up until recently, I did. Um, and I still... I wouldn't say that I don't handle all my own customer service, but I have a little bit more help to do that Mm -hmm. now. Um, I've recently started um, having, I have, I have two part-time employees in, in the warehouse um, and uh, I've started to let them handle a little bit more of that. So most of them will come into the general email and then they each have an email. And so the ones that I know that they can handle Mm. I will pass on to them if there's something that comes in and I know, okay, they can't, 
they can't yeah. handle this one, then I will still handle that. But I still see them all because they're all coming into me. Right. Um, but I've started to pass off um, some of them to to the, the girls that are helping me. Because if I know that they're trained and they know how to handle it, then I'm trying very hard. I'm, I'm very... Um, one of those people that likes to do everything myself and I need to stop doing everything myself. (laughs) Yes. So I try really, I'm trying really hard to, to share in the duties. (laughs) Yeah. Delegation is so hard, especially when you started the company yourself from scratch and you've done everything yourself. It's so hard to give it to other people and, and, and know that they're going to do as good a job as you would. And, and your name, like, you, yeah. Your name is on it. And so, you know, representing you basically. Mm-hmm. For so sure. Many- everything is, is in my name and people know that, you know, people know that this is my company and they know that, you know, I started it and, and they think they expect a certain level of customer service. Um, right. And I, and I think that we do a pretty good job of that making sure that our customers are happy is really important to me. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still very involved, even though I'm trying really hard not to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How many employees do you have total? So we have three part-time employees. Um, so the only full-timer is me. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I have three t- part-timers um, and then I have um, some people who are like freelance um, that I'll hire for certain things for certain jobs. Hmm. So, so, so you do quite a bit. Yeah. Yes. So we'll outsource certain, certain things um, like, uh, like my, my designer that does, that does the patterns. I am not an artist and mm-hmm. I do not make the patterns. Um, I have them in my head and I'm really good at visualizing in my head what I want. Um, but if you gave me a paintbrush and a thing of paint, it would be a mess. It would not look at all <laughs> what, what it looks like in my head. Um, so I make, you know, all my artist is, is amazing and him and I have a really good connection. Um, and at this point, you know, I can really just say to him, you know, a few sentences like this is what I'm thinking in my head. This is what I want. This is the color scheme that I'm going for. Um, and he is, we've gotten really good at like, he can pull these ideas out of my head and put it onto paper and it comes out exactly what I thought it was going to come out. Like, um, so, you know, and I've got, he's, he's my, I would say my primary designer, but I have more than one that I work with. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, a lot of freelance, people like that, um, are, are wonderful to work with, um, because they're not, you know, on my payroll, they're just, they're just there when I need them. That's great. Uh, How many vendors do you work with? So that also can vary a little bit. I would say anywhere from like six to 10 vendors. Um, like I was talking about earlier, I'm constantly sort of sampling new vendors um, to see if I like their products. So I'll have samples sent to me. I'll have them, you know, custom make items for me um, to see if they can make 
what I have, what I have in my head and the ideas that I think are good, or I'll have them send me fabrics to see, you know, some, like, like we just talked about earlier, you know, some people can make fleece better than others. Some people can make, you know, sun shirts better than others, whatever that product might be. Um, I like to, you know, see what their fabrics are, see how they do with the stitching, um, if they're if they're good at getting colors right a lot of the time that can be challenging i use a lot of pink and <laughs> pink happens to be a really hard color to get right um so you know i'm, I'm particular sometimes about making sure that the pink is the pink that i want yeah. um that it's not red or coral or orange, you know, it's gotta be pink. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, different vendors are better at, at certain things. So definitely always like making sure that we're working with the right people. But so I'd say anywhere from like six to 10 vendors at a time and, and different vendors make different pieces of our line. Um, it's not all necessarily made by the same place because um, like, like we talked about, they, they just, are better at certain things than others. And I'll pick who's ever is going to make the product the best in the way that I want it to be. Right. And how do you keep track of all of the, the moving parts? <laughs> That's a great question as well. <laughs> um, so in the beginning, my husband like would yell at me because I had everything on paper and like lots of <laughs> folders everywhere. And it was like such a mess. And like, I don't know how to use Excel. I'm terrible at spreadsheets. Oh, I hate everything spreadsheets. was just on paper and it was such a mess. And he was like, you cannot continue to do this. This is not okay. <laughs> and I was like, you're right. I can't do it. <laughs> um, so I ended up uh, finding a program, which I, I'm so upset right now, actually. So it's called QuickBooks Commerce. So it's like, um, it's almost like an app off from QuickBooks um, that helps manage um you know, orders, inventory, um, purchase orders, all the things. It, it, it manages everything. And they are turning it off. Like they they decided it wasn't a good product and they are turning it off. So I am right now in the process of trying to find a new QuickBooks Commerce. Oh, no. um, yeah. So it's like, it's like my biggest nightmare. It's like, you know, when you have to get a new cell phone and you're yeah. like, oh my God, I just don't want to do it because you don't want to have to learn how to use new technology. Um, so that's like what I'm going through right now with the company is that I have to switch over to a new system and I am dragging my feet and delaying the change as much as possible because I, I'm not awesome at technology and I like finally felt super comfortable with this system and now I have to change and I'm not happy about it. <laughs> so when you said that, that's exactly what I thought of is a cell phone because I need a new one <laughs> and mm -hmm. I have been putting it off because it is one of the worst things you have to do in life. <laughs> it's horrible. And it's, and that's exactly what I have to do. But for the entire, like everything bell and bow. Yeah. Like, oh my yeah. God. Yeah. We, when I was at Blue Chip Farms, we moved from um, one system to another for recording like all the breedings keeping track of the stallions like 
and it was it took us months to change over because yeah. it was just mm-hmm. so much information the customer lists and the breeding mm-hmm. dates and the vaccinations and everything had to get put in by hand into the new system and it was i i feel your pain yeah i'm <laughs> i'm not i'm i'm avoiding it as much as i possibly can but it's the time is ticking on it and it's scaring me <laughs> yeah and so you know we've talked about kind of what your target market is and and obviously it's um you know products for kids and do you think it's more or less challenging than selling products made for adults so that's a great question i don't really know the answer to that because i've never mm. tried to sell products to adults <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. Um, i've only ever tried to do it with kids um i imagine i imagine it might be slightly harder because you're you're not selling really to the kids you're selling to their parents to their grandparents to their you know their aunts and whoever is buying it for them right the kids aren't coming in although although some kids do i guess the older kids like have like you know um credit cards on their iphones and stuff like that now (laughs) but but my my market is really the younger kids um like you know the 10 and under kids um, so I would say maybe it's more challenging if I had to guess, cause I, like mm. I said, I don't sell to adults, so I don't really, I don't really know. <laughs> that was my, my, my follow-up question was, you know, you make products for kids, but you don't necessarily market to them. You're marketing it to the adults that are doing the purchasing and, you know, how, how do you change kind of your marketing in order to reach the people who are making that purchase decision. Yeah. So I think like all of our, you know, we don't, I guess that also leads to another question. Like we don't spend money on advertising, right? So all of our marketing Mm. is basically through social media, word of mouth. um, You know, the tax shops themselves are doing Mm. their own marketing, right? For the products. Um, And, you know, we'll send out, occasional email blasts um but that's not like our focus really our focus mm. is just like marketing the company right so that the that the tax shops are the ones that are actually doing the the okay. selling of the products um, yeah. so i think a lot of the the that falls onto them um which is great because it's like one less thing on my plate right, right. um but all of our social media and our our goals are definitely like just showcasing the products in a way that um, the kids are liking it and the parents are liking it because the parents have to want to purchase it for the kids, but the kids also have to see it and be like, I want that. Mm -hmm. Mommy, can I have that? Um, So they, and, and as a mom myself, as of a seven year old child, who's like basically my exact target market, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm not going to buy it for her unless I know she's going to wear it. Right. 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 Because if, and they're not, none of our clothes are super crazy expensive, but they're not cheap either. Um, so, you know, I'm not going to go into a store and buy my daughter a $50 sun shirt unless I know she's going to wear it. Um, so it's gotta be, you know, I I really run by every single product by my daughter before I'll start (laughs) making it. Like, would you wear this? Do you like this? Um, and I'll show it to other kids at the at the horse shows. You know, they go to pony finals generally every year. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll show the kids at pony finals the samples. I'll be like, 
who's who likes this who doesn't like this what are you what colors do you like so important that the kids like it too so yeah the parents have to take out their pocketbooks but if the kid's not gonna wear it it's not gonna sell yeah yeah i love that that you know you kind of have a a place to go to test your items before you put them into production for sure and how do you handle competition? Is it something that you think about or do you just kind of stay focused on what you do? So I would say towards the beginning, I used to get like so upset about when someone would copy something that I did. Um, you know, I'd make a bow in a certain color and then I'd see somebody else copy it exactly. Mm. Or I'd make, you know, a stretchy and someone would do the exact same thing or you know stuff like that and and or you know we were the first company to do the bows in plastic boxes that hang and they display really nicely Mm. and then this year I saw a couple other companies start to put their bows in boxes just like mine and Mm. you know it used to bother me but someone you know said to me a while back that you know copying is like the the most sincere form of flattery mm-hmm. that, you know, they saw what I did. They saw that it was successful and they just want to do what I'm doing. And I think it only makes me want to work harder at what I'm doing and keep creating more new things that are better and better. Um, so that I'm always leading the charge of, of this, of this particular segment of the market. Right. Um, so, you know, if somebody wants to copy what I've done, I think, you know, that's exactly what they're doing. They're copying mm. something because it's successful because people like it. And that I guess makes me feel good that I did something right. Yeah. So what's your favorite part about your business? I think my favorite part is is exactly creating um, creating new products. It's so fun. Um, it's so fun to see the reaction to people when you create something new, um, and and filling a gap, which is really where like I really think the whole company is based on that filling the gap of things that people truly need in this space. Um, so I think creating those products and watching people use them and wear them, whether it's lessons or show in the show ring, whatever that might be, whatever that need is and seeing people use our products and love them. That just makes me super happy. Awesome. That's great. Oh, Stacy, it's been so fun talking with you and, and learning more about what you do and, um, and kind of sharing your journey with everyone. And we appreciate you coming on. I thank you so much for having me. It was super fun. So at the end of each episode, we ask the same four questions to each guest and Connor starts with the first one. What is one action that women can take to make a big difference in their lives? Set big goals and don't be afraid to go for them. I love that. What is the best habit that keeps you motivated personally? Trying to best myself. So trying to do something better than I've done it before. What's your favorite horse movie? Secretariat. Great movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And who would you recommend to be a future guest on this podcast? So I thought about this one. Beth Cross, I think, from Ariat. She's the founder of Ariat. I would love to hear 
more about her story and how she created the mega company that she did. I think she'd be really interesting to hear from. Definitely. We would love to have her on. Yeah. (laughs) We will try and make that happen. Yes. (laughs) That'd be a good one. Well, thanks again. And um, we wish you the best of luck in continuing your successful business. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks. I just so admire people like Stacy that can come up with an idea and then just go about making it themselves and doing it themselves out of their house. And, you know, she keeps on finding new ways to grow and new products that that um, are needed in the market. And um, it just, I think it's cool to see people kind of start their own thing and, and build it from basically nothing. I mean, she was making just a few pairs to go and sell at the horse show. And now it's this big company with lots of different products. Yeah, it's really inspiring and amazing that she is able to grow it from from bows that she was hand making and handcrafting and just the time and effort it takes to do that and then then to spin that into a whole company. It really it's great and I love that she you know just kept doing it and and kept growing it mm-hmm. where it is now and and she hasn't really stopped. You know, and and I love the fact that she didn't have kids and she she saw a right. need for this, right? Like, yeah. I mean, I don't have kids and I would never think, oh, hey, we need, you know, bows or even, you know, pony show clothes. Right. No, I, I felt for her because when she said she had her daughter going in lead line <laughs> before she was a year <laughs> old and, you know, we had Eden in that lead line class, my daughter, when she was two and... I couldn't find anything to fit her. Like I had to go to H&M kids to buy little pants to wear yeah. because, you know, she was, she's tiny and nothing fit her. Luckily I had friends who, you know, gave me a helmet and boots, but, and, and the jacket and the right? jacket. Yeah. From, from Maryland Saddlery. But even that was like big on her. Yeah. And it was the tiniest one they had. So, um, yeah, I think, it's it, it it's encouraging i think to other people and you know stacy said she wanted to kind of share her story and and maybe help inspire somebody who has an idea to just go for it and see what they can accomplish because um you know a lot of times if you're seeing something missing and you think you can fill that need in the marketplace then other people are going to feel the same way yeah Absolutely. It's really funny too, because when they first came out, I was at that equine affair and I'm walking by and my friend had just had a kid and I was like, oh my God, they have breeches for like little kids. Like I have to get them. I'm like texting her, what size is she? What size is she going to be when she can ride? (laughs) I'm like the crazy person who has no kids, but I'm like, that kid, some kid needs this. Yeah. One time, one time I bought a shad belly for my friend's kid who was doing weed line. Because it was on sale at Smart Pack. (laughs) Amazing. So yeah. But no, I really I um I think that it's great. And I I loved some of the points that she was making that, you know, like it's if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I thought it was it was cool to hear 
you know, how she went from, okay, making bows, fine. Like you can go to a craft store and buy ribbon and have a hot glue gun. And yeah, it's probably a pain in the butt to do all of that and make them yourselves. But the leap from that to like finding a manufacturer in China yeah, for fleece is, you know, a tenfold of stress and money and work and effort to put into it. So, um, yeah, that is, it was really cool to hear how she's able to do that. Yeah. And she still does it herself. Like she still only has three part-time people in a big warehouse and, you know, doing everything themselves. And amazing dropping her kids off for the bus to, you know, then going to work and then getting home. And yeah. And, uh, I think that, that it's good that she has some people that she sources stuff to um, mm. and, and, and that she doesn't have like a degree in fashion or something like that and just right. keeps going through. It's like, you know, you, you can do anything you put your mind to really, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yep. Yeah. And I think, you know, her, it, it goes again to the, what a common theme is of finding the right people to do the things that you can't do. Like she clearly said, I'm not an artist. I can't get my ideas into a pattern or, or, or draw it. So she found a really good designer to work with who thinks like her and can take her ideas and make them real. And, um, you know, I think that's so important. She recognized that. And like we've said before, and, um, and I think that's a huge point to people who are looking to do things like this themselves. But also too, that there are people out there that do it, you know, that do those things. Like if you look long and hard enough, you will find the person to do it for you. you The right person. The right person that you need, you know, there, it always amazes me when I listen to people about businesses and I'm like, I didn't know somebody does that part of the business, you know? And (laughs) that's awesome. Like, I mean, I would think that you would have to be a designer in order to design kids show clothes and Mm -hmm. you don't have to be because you can find somebody who can help you do that. So I think that if, if you're willing to put in the time and the effort and the research, you can make it happen because you can find the people that, that Mm -hmm. can help you. And I like hearing when things don't work out and what yeah. they learned from it. Like she said, the third party fulfillment center did not work for her. We've talked to other people yeah. who were like, I love fulfillment centers. They yeah. do everything. It's perfect. And she was like, no, absolutely not. Not for my business and my products. And, yeah. um, and she was able to recognize it and change it and, and do something that works better for her business and helped it grow. So that I think is important to hear not only the success, but the failures too. Yeah. And that, and that gives people an idea that, you know, they can go out there and try it and Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean disaster. You can try it and then you might just have to refocus and go a different direction. Yep. It doesn't mean the end of it. Right. So I, yeah, lots of things to, to take away. And I think, um, it's, it is reassuring and, um, inspiring to hear all these different stories from people. Yeah, I love it so much. It it's expanded me so much and in my thinking and what I've learned and walked away from uh, a lot of these episodes with good knowledge and information. Mhm. 
But I have some storms rolling in, so I think Me that too. we need to, <laughs> to cut it short in the summertime weather. So you can find the links to today's guests and the show notes at www.eqbusinesswomen.com. Equestrian B2B is out twice a month on the 1st and the 15th. You can find out more at eqbusinesswomen.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Find Equestrian B2B wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to follow, subscribe, and leave a review so others can find us too. You can have all 20 plus shows of the Horse Radio Network with you wherever you go with their free app for iPhone and Android. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. Now go set goals for growth. Goals for growth.